All right. Welcome back. Another episode, another week of the Big Ticket Life Show. Thank you for tuning in each week. Love having you here. You know, Aaron Lebex, thank you for joining me. You have the honor of turning the corner on episode 101. Right. I was excited about that when I saw it. Yeah. We're on that other part of the journey now, right? Getting to episode 100, I think, for people who have shows is always a a fun milestone. And then it's rolling on with more. And uh, so thank you for being here. Appreciate you. Um, as we were talking in the pre-show, Facebook's a new thing for you, but we do we do live stream this on Facebook. We live stream this show on LinkedIn, which you're very active in, and, and on YouTube. So we're hitting all your channels. And if you can, uh, friends and fans of Aaron and friends and fans of mine, if you can give the show a like, a follow, a subscribe, whatever it is you need to do in the platform you enjoy watching this show, please uh, make sure you hit that button so we get uh, notifications to you when we go live each week at noon on Tuesdays. So Aaron, thank you for taking the time out to pour in to my audience, your knowledge all around strategically communicating through the medium of writing and high value writing. And I said in the pre-show, I think we're going to begin this way. I love getting to the bedrock of things, whether that's an issue, an opportunity. And the bedrock of things, I think, provides us so much understanding and ease in solving a problem and creating success facts faster. And I look at the story of Beowulf as one of those bedrock foundational stories that's out there in literature. Uh, it's a pre-printing press story, which I love. Um, I often share with people, I think it's smart to read things pre-printing press because there's a lot more meaning. There's a lot more value. If we think about what happened in those times, all of those stories and proverbs and psalms and literature were saved from struggle and strife and fires and who knows what else, but it was all saved and brought forward to today. And the bedrock of things matters. And so being able to write and com communicate properly and strategically is so valuable. So with that statement, I'm going to turn it over to you because you're the expert on that. Let's kick it off with why you so believe in this skill and how you help people uh, hone it and extract it for themselves. Yeah, great. Well, thanks, Jeff. Thank you for having me and congrats on your 100 episodes. The reason that I came to feel that writing is a bedrock of so many of our actions and so lies behind our goals that we want to reach. I figured that out by watching people. You know, when I started teaching as a young woman, um, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I just knew that I wanted to help people who didn't have a lot of access. And I thought, well, education is a way to do that. I'm going to go to a high school that's not doing super great, um, not having an easy time. And see what, if I can contribute something to people who really need it. And as I observed, you know, the different things I taught, I realized, oh, writing is the one that empowers us. Because you know what it's like when you do or don't feel confident about writing something. And when I don't feel confident about it, I don't even want to say yes to opportunities. I don't want to be on the committee if I'm going to have to write a bunch of notes and emails and I'm nervous about it, right? I don't want to apply for the scholarship if I don't believe in myself in that way. So I saw firsthand as a teacher, high school for a few years, college for 20, you know, this is what gives people something that they can then use autonomously to reach their goals because it all comes down to 
communication and even sort of the reality that we create out of our communication. You know, what are, what tone are we showing? What mood does this whole thing have? We have, and especially leaders, the ability to impact the way an entire experience goes down by how we use language around it. Yeah. Yeah. So a little sidestep on our conversation um, on the, on the education side, because you're, you're an educator. Are you still, are you still teaching at the college level? Um, I occasionally do sort of a guest okay. lecture type of thing, but I mainly teach in businesses and organizations now. Got it. Yeah. Got it. That's kind of what I thought. And yeah. So that's why I asked it that way. And, um, and so, so do you feel it, it seems from my view and, and, it, you know, I know locally for us, it seems we've gotten away from cursive. We've gotten away from those handwriting skills. Right. Um, because we've got a Chromebook in front of every kid from, I believe it's grade one and up now. Uh, do you feel that's a detriment to confidence in writing, not having the penmanship, the ability to write things out through a simple pen and paper? You know, I wonder about that. And that's funny. I just talked about that with friends with little kids. My my kids are grown, but friends with younger kids are all kind of wondering, when's the cursive going to come in to the classroom, right? And it, you're right, it isn't. Um, I do think they're still printing, right? Um, but I, that's interesting how you related it to confidence because I, there is research showing that when we use pen and paper, it actually helps our thought process around that subject. Mm -hmm. It's sort of a reflective tool and a clarifying tool. And so we can actually understand what we are saying better by using just written. And so for when I teach yeah. a class, for example, I say, you're getting the slides later. Don't be worrying. But if you want to write something down in your own words, then it's going to sink in better. And it is true that typing doesn't do that quite as much. So when yeah. I feel there are things that I write that I just, you know, pop on an email and start typing. But when I'm working, for example, I'm writing the workbook right now to go with my book, I can't get into the right state of mind just sitting at a computer tapping away. I have to have something where I can write out notes, draw arrows, connect things, because that's what gives me the clarity. And then that leads to the confidence, right? Where And so I do encourage right. people in classes, you know, if you don't know how to start a DM or an email or a post, just jot down with a pencil who, what, when, where, why. Uh, that you want to talk about, type it out in a sentence. You're good to go. You've already started. So sometimes we need that tactical connection to be able to start or to be able to get a little deeper with what we really even intend. Yeah, yeah. No, really great points. And, you know, uh, the the act of writing things down, uh, I take that all the way tactically back to one of my businesses, the retail mattress store that I co-own. We have a whole process where we engage with clients we're asking them questions about how we find the right fit. Mm -hmm. And on that document we have, as we have that conversation, my team writes down the answers. You know, we hear it and we see it. And then right. uh, I guess functionally, that answer translates through the hand, through the paper, through the eyes and into the brain at a deeper level. And right. it makes our conversations, I feel, that much more engaging and that much more important. Uh, and our customers can feel it and experience it. So. Mm -hmm. Great little sidestep there. I love that. Love that we touched on it. Um, so I'll, I'll, to wrap it up, so if if cursive were to completely go away from education, what do you think? Would that be a good thing, bad thing? How do you see that going forward? 
I personally, I'm less, I'm less concerned with whether it's cursive or print than I am with whether okay. there's touch. So I feel like so as long touch as touch goes long, away. Yeah. If touch goes away, I think we have a possible less reflection in our writing and yeah. the way you talked about using writing with a group of people to connect. And I think also in your um, example there, you mentioned you're seeing the notes on the screen or whatever it is in your meeting and you're writing them down. You're hearing the person say them. And so that's also just kind of wraparound learning styles, right? We forget that mm -hmm. reading is actually learning. And so that example showed that we actually learn well when we have a combo of visual and written um, and when we get to write ourselves. But I think we can still succeed in a world of typing. Um, it's just, for me, it's when I need to go deep, that I need to get out a pencil, give myself a moment. Sometimes I'll even, even if on a computer, if I'm typing on a Word doc, I'll cover everything else, right? Or I'll take my notebook and go somewhere else because it's partially just psychological. Is your mind too busy to let you really go deep into what you're trying to say in your writing? Yeah, yeah. I always like to pull out little tactical moments, translate the moment, you know, because people might, you know, right now somebody might be watching this and they got another tab open and our show's over on the, you know, if they got a dual screen, we might be over in the right-hand corner. Uh, if they're driving down the road, uh, it might be hard to to translate what we're talking about and apply it practically to their day. I mean, I think if you're what Aaron just shared about how you cover your screen and you take a step back and you find a, a writing instrument and a piece of paper. I think that's a very good point to pull out and call upon because there's everybody that leads people gets wrapped up in the day, wrapped up in the moment. Mm -hmm. And if it's important to convey a message, step back and see the trees, right? See the yes. forest. Yeah, I messed that's that right. quote up, but you knew well, you knew what I meant. <laughs> no, that makes sense, and I think it's. You also kind of touched on what I call content overload. Um, you know, it's really hard to focus on anything these days. I actually, I had a class the other day um, with people in India, China, and Korea, and we had an entire sort of off-curriculum discussion about how hard it is to just read today because of the mm -hmm. content overload always going on. And so that's another reason that we want to... That's why I had to end up saying, you know, I'm not getting anywhere on this workbook. I'm going to have to literally cover everything that I can see because the content overload, I'm always going to be thinking about too many things to get to any depth or flow in my work. Um, and the same goes, by the way, for your reader. When you're writing, that person is experiencing the content overload of today's world. And that's another reason why sending somebody an email with six paragraphs, yeah, you may not get an answer, right? We have to think right. about our reader's content overload today and adjust our writing to meet what works for a reader in today's busy world. Yeah. I mean, if you have a long message to convey, it frustrates me a little bit in today's world. Um, there's a Jerry Seinfeld quote to the effect of, there's no such thing as too long. There is such a thing as being uh, there is such a thing as a lack of entertaining. Mm -hmm. And so if you have that long message, maybe you're not going for laughs. You're going for engagement. Engagement, yeah. You're going for teaching. You're going for understanding. Yeah. Yep. You're going for guidance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. There you go. So on that note, uh, let, let's, let's give some people watching, picking this up maybe at a later date. It's, it's year end when we recorded our show today. Um, you know, 
this is the time of year. A lot of people who are, are in business, who lead others, they start kind of, they're, they're either in their plans, beginning their plans, maybe wrapping up their plans of looking ahead of what 24 looks like, maybe into Q2, et cetera. What are some good skills, some good things tactically that people can do to provide an engaged outlook on guidance, an engaged outlook on what's coming ahead? Right. Because it is really hard today. And, and you're right. You know, if we were to just write it up here, you know, I hope you're inspired about next year. That's probably not going to work. We need to be intentional. And that's the central message of high value writing is we can do things for a reason. I used to feel like, well, I hope this is good. You know, I don't know. But, and that's the legacy of school because school in school, we were writing to show what we know and to get judged. And so we don't realize, oh, right. Actually, I should have, I want to be intentional today. And, and we've all experienced getting a text and you open it and immediately you're in a bad mood or immediately you're excited, right? We know what can be done with the power of communication. I mean, I had one from my mother-in-law the other day that was very annoying, right? We've all been there, <laughs> you know? And I was kind of like, hey, da-da-da, you know? And so that happens in workplace and personal writing all the time, unintentionally, where we're blah, 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 here's what's on my mind. Yeah, that's not the way it sounds to the other person all the time. And so the, a large part of that intentionality is actually realizing writing is interactive, just like speaking. So just like Jeff and I are taking turns and thinking about what each other said and cared about, I'm going to try to do that when I write to him too. Even though I'm not seeing the, him in that moment, I'm going to still try to think, what's Jeff all about? What's his day like? What does he need? And more importantly, in today's world, what does he not need? Most people are overloading their messages with too much information. And that's because we're trying hard to be helpful. So we write and then we say, gosh, what if I didn't explain that well enough? Let me explain some more. Nobody wants a long message, right? So we have a few things we can do. I always encourage front-loading meaning. If it's a the paper or an email, your main point should be at the top. Front-loading the main meaning of that document or email. Even on a sentence level, though, you can put your meaning at the front and have a magically concise sentence. By leading your sentence, here's one like real kind of down and dirty, easy strategy. If you're not concise and you don't feel good about your writing and it's blah, 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 you know, it is important to consider that there may have been an impact regarding, right, bureaucratic sounding. You can just front load meaning by putting who did something in the front of your sentence and then what did they do? And it'll all get better. For example, I could say it was reported by the state of California that we had fewer workplace accidents this year. It was reported by, I'm already tuning out. That sounds super boring and bureaucratic. Put who did it in the front. The state of California reported fewer workplace accidents. Boom. I get the information. That's front loading meaning for your reader. Your reader has other things to do. And so we, you know, our reader probably wants to do their best and care about our message, but they're dealing with content overload. So we have to think, well, if I want to succeed in meeting my goal in whatever I'm asking this person to do or whatever it might be, I'm going to have to consider their reality that their brain is very busy. Put short sentences, put the main point in the front, make things more scannable by using headings and bullets, even in a post, a comment, or an email. Doesn't have to be a document to start using some visual tricks. 
Because the goal here is if you're saying something that you truly need the other person to know, you've got to make sure they're going to see it, literally see it in your message versus being inside of a large paragraph. Because people often don't have the time or mental you know, bandwidth to fight through a paragraph to find the thing that you thought was most important. Yeah. So much that you shared there was uh, very, very good, very incredible advice about that front-loaded meaning, uh, front-load what you want to get across. So definitely kind of rewind the tape. Well, we don't have tape anymore, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, rewind, rewind the show about five minutes there. Um, you know, I... I came into the marketing world. I really kind of accelerated my entrepreneurship when I really began paying attention to marketing. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Dan Kennedy, one of the, you know, country's foremost direct response copywriters, I got into his world and yeah, he became a mentor and a friend. And, um, I've studied a lot of his stuff. Uh, a friend of mine, Mike Capuzzi created something called copy doodles, which mm-hmm. helps your sales messages, your letters, improve that readership. You know, it, it, it is that visual cue. It is that overlay on the document that gets the eye focused and reinforces the message. And I think if people are trying to get a visual of what this looks like, you know, and they're, they're struggling with it, like open your mail, especially <laughs> this time of year where you've got a lot of fundraising appeals coming your way. Some of the best copywriters do work in the fundraising space and they earn their keep because they do such a great job. Look there. You, yeah. You'll be able to see, like I said, rewind the tape the last five, seven minutes now. Listen to what Aaron just said and look at like a fundraising appeal for uh, a Christmas fundraiser that charity's doing in your mailbox, your physical mailbox, not your inbox, physical mailbox. And you'll, you'll see Aaron's words come right to life of what she was just talking about. Fantastic wow. share there. Yeah, I think... Just to chime in with that, I agree. Marketing is a great place to look for examples if you want to be a more in, in tune writer because marketing is psychological, right? They're very in tune with using language to create behavior or even just yeah. to create perception. So one thing I learned from reading the writing of marketing writers is other focus. They know, you know, I can't just say, hi, everyone. I have a, a great company and these classes are so cool. Aren't you excited? No, I can't just talk about me. I would have to talk about right. what's needed by my reader. And I, when I teach people like leaders in the workplace, often we talk about, ooh, there's accidental self-focus in a lot of our writing. And marketing writing does not do that, at least when it's done well, right? So that's right. another good reason to look at marketing writing and just see they are playing into the relevance for the reader. Um, and we talk in my classes, you know, if you're going to say something I often say if we're talking about extreme weather in the U.S. and I'm writing a report and it's going to go to Florida, I'm going to put hurricanes at the top of that list. If I'm going to revise it for people in California, I'm going to put wildfires at the top of the list. It should be about what's most relevant to the reader, not yeah. ourselves. And marketing writing is quite good at that. Yeah. I was glancing around as you were speaking. Uh, really, you're talking about um, a lot of your folks that sell marketing things to marketers talk about the radio station WIIFM what's in it for me yeah right uh, so i was glancing around because i actually have it was a gift from my friend mike capuzzi um a, a, a little small black black photo frame uh 
that has WIIFM on it. And it's a picture frame. And in that picture, I actually put my grandmother. You know, my grandmother, God rest her soul, great woman, great lady, great matriarch of our family. Right. But, you know, was somebody small, small town Canada born, you know, so I put her picture in there to remind me that sell, sell what I sell like I would if I were having my grandmother become a customer. Right. You know, improve that focus, improve that, that communication, really convey the point in a simple manner that makes sense and is clear. And so it's just that visual cue downstairs on yeah. my work desk. I don't know. I would never have it up here because I don't do work up here. I do shows up here. Uh-huh. But, um, but yeah, I have that as a tool and a reminder. Um, well, so that's a good I'm, idea. And it's also speaks to the two sides of writing that you would be thinking about there. I just wrote down when you were saying about grandma, clarity and care, because she's going to remind you two things. This has to be clear enough for someone who's not in my work world, right? Who doesn't know the same things I know. Right. But then there's also that relational element where I could say something very easy to understand, but that's dismissive or condescending. And then grandma's right. not feeling cared for. Right. So that we need to remind, remember those two elements. And I think that picture works great for that. Yeah. And I suppose to expand this out, you know, if you're a leader trying to get something across, you could put pictures up of those employees that are leading your company well. And if you could replicate, you know, Mary, Jill, John, Jose, you name it, maybe get their photos up. I mean, if you're a big company, you probably have corporate IDs. So you have their photos yeah. somewhere in your files, right? So print them out, put them up on your desk. And, and I, that, that tactic will definitely help you. And from what I found will definitely, I think, help somebody be able to convey that message. If they're trying to replicate, emulate the examples of those people that they lead. Right. Um, so just a quick question for you, another little sidestep. So as you're writing, you've said pencil um, a number of times. Do you prefer pencils over yes, pens? I have. I? No, I have pens here on my desk. Okay. I, you know, it's funny because I was channeling in my mind um, erasability. I think that's why I said pencil, because in my mind, I'm thinking of the, when I'm writing, I'm... I can be messy. I can make mistakes. I can cross things out. I do it with a pen. I mean, I'm on a kick personally where I'm using that remarkable tablet. It's one of these, oh, the yeah. old, and, you know, mm-hmm. you, so I can actually erase, which is very good for me because I make a big mess. You know, I've got arrows going in all directions and that's just yeah. my thought process. So think about pen or pa- pen for yourself, pen or pencil. Do you prefer the confidence of, a, of ink or do you prefer to be able to erase? Yeah, yeah. Um, just as a complete conversation just between you and I. Do you have you tried uh the digital handwriting with an iPad or a, a, a another tablet device? I've tried them before and it, it's funny I have the same struggle or uh pickiness or whatever it is with um piano where if I'm going to play on a keyboard, it's kind of annoying when it doesn't feel like the keys need to be pressed down. And so that's the same issue I've had with other tablets where it just doesn't have the same feel of pen and paper or pencil and paper. Luckily, this one does. And so I can even hear it. So the remarkable gives you that. Yeah, that was why I've never been someone who's succeeded with an organizational tablet before. Um, But this one works for me because it's just like jotting down messy notes. 
Interesting. Interesting. My wife's been after me about what I want for Christmas. And so I've tried to do, you know, I have a very nice iPad that I use, but and I really don't want multiple devices. Right. Cell phone, iPad, you know, do I need one more thing? But maybe I do. Well, maybe, I, do, maybe, and you know, the remarkable, <laughs> you don't have to be online with this one. Right. So you, it reduces content overload as well. And, and I'm not a sponsor. That's so funny, right? But it's just yep. been amazing. Actually, remarkable. I, I can sponsor you on my YouTube show if you send me another tablet. Just kidding. But yeah, they're, they're actually really good um, for a disorganized person who has a lot of ideas and you can yep. keep things in the right place. Well, and, you know, so I love that we just had this conversation because it directly applies to what we're talking about. So I gave you a very relevant uh, objection to why I don't want another device. Yeah. And you very succinctly said, well, if you enjoy writing, you're going to love the way this feels. Yeah. Because it feels like part of paper, right? Making it about what you need, right? Other focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's never told to us to do that because again, in school, we're under pressure. Show what you know. You better not mess up. It's all about judging you or or judging us. Right. Um, but that's no longer the case. And so we didn't really get told the writing stuff that we need for work or personal life, even for leaving a note for someone who's doing some help for us at our house. Right. Or a, a colleague or a partner or a friend. Um, we didn't get taught, don't make your writing all about you. Cause when we were writing, it was all about our grade. So of course we didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's key for even on a text, anything. In fact, yeah, really. quick story. If you can, I mm-hmm. do a quick story. Um, 100%. I met a, <laughs> I met a realtor. No, I met, well, I have a realtor story as well, but I met a land baron, a, a person who rents out many, many, apartments here in Sacramento where rent is real difficult and expensive and places are competitive. And I said, okay, how does it work? You know, we're just talking about it. And he said, well, in today's world, of course, mainly I talk to my people um, via text before we meet, right? We're texting, oh, I'm interested in the apartment. Let's have a meeting, whatever. Well, I said, you know, oh, I teach writing. Do you have any thoughts about the texts you receive and how that impacts your business or who gets to rent a place in this competitive market? And he said, well, I do judge people by their texts. And at first, I was feeling pretty negative about it already because as a teacher, we don't judge people on their writing. If we're not good at writing, there's a reason, right? Maybe we didn't have the time to focus in school or get to go to school as much as other people or we're new to using English or whatever. So I was sort of feeling like, oh, I don't like this idea so far. And he said, no, no, I'm not judging their grammar and spelling. What I'm judging when I read the texts of people trying to rent apartments from me is, are they paying any attention to what I asked them from my texts? Do they have any care for what I needed? Because he'll receive texts that talk, you know, here's my schedule. I love the place. I really need this. And he'll say, well, but in my last text, I asked you two things and you didn't answer either one. And that leads him to think, oh, this person won't be a thoughtful renter. They won't be respectful to neighbors. They don't care about what other people need is what he learns from right. them. And right. I think that's so much more important than, right, obviously it doesn't matter if we can spell. Um, there's help for that, right? But can we care about someone and can we show the interactivity, the two-way street of writing and reading when we read? Or do we come up accidentally showing like, hey, I'm just here for me. 
Right. Yeah. Very, very good example. And you can, tra- again, you can translate that to your interactions with your coworkers. You can translate that to people you lead, the, the customers you're trying to get. Um, right. You can translate that in, in many different places. Uh, so when it comes to technology and writing, mm-hmm. you know, we've got these tools, we've got Grammarly as an example. We've got ChatGPT and Jasper and, you know, other AI tools that are out there. Let's talk about those for a minute. And, and how do you see those? Are they detrimental? Are they supplemental? Are they complementary? Do we abandon everything we know and just let the robot do it? What's Aaron's opinion on this? My view is that they are complementary as long as, once again, we are writing with intention. So we want to use those tools with intentionality as well, not just kind of like, again, I hope this is good. Grammarly will fix it for me. And then I'll just believe everything I'm told. No, right? right. We don't. A teacher, a book, a, a piece of software does not know as much as you do about the situation that you're writing in. So a teacher is not more correct than you. The software is not more correct than you. You're the one who can analyze who's going to read this. What do they like and hate? What do they really need today? Um, so I would use, I use chat GPT as part of the process, but I would never let it represent me, Aaron Lavax, without <laughs> going through it myself. Personally, I use it if I want to generate some ways of expressing something and I haven't thought of that many, right? What might be a different way to say this? Or can you help, you know, write a paragraph about something and then I go, oh, okay, that kind of shows me what people might be thinking about this out there on the web. Here's what I'm going to talk about. But, well, and first of all, we can do a lot through an intentional prompt in ChatGPT because, you know, if you go to type in, write me a post for whatever, we also have to add for people who are unfamiliar with the product or in a clear voice or at a seventh grade level, right? We have to do the thinking ourselves about our audience and then tell chat GPT that stuff and then check it again at the end, especially tonally. I recently did an experiment. I just wanted to know. I asked chat GPT to write a letter that would come to me, an email saying, hey, I need business writing classes for my team. Well, ChatGPT wrote the letter and it's ironic for AI, but it was completely self-focused. Literally every sentence began with I. And I thought, whoa, okay, that's totally off. Maybe if you're asking for something, that's fine. But imagine reading something like that from your supervisor and every sentence began with I. That's going to set a tone that supervisor probably didn't want to set. And we want to think about tone. We want to even culture, right? Or what if chat GPT makes something overly direct or overly indirect in comparison to whoever's going to read it and the culture of either their industry, their department, or their country, right? We've got to think about the human side and the connected side ourselves, but use chat GPT for generating ideas and examples of sentences. Yeah. Yeah. Again, so, so important there. And I would challenge anybody listening, watching, go to about minute 30 from minute 34 here and, and re-listen to everything that Aaron just shared. You know, I, the, the flash of Gary Halbert, who was pre, uh, predates Dan Kennedy, uh, kind of concurrent with Dan actually, but a little bit ahead. And so Gary was another like fantastic marketer, uh, in the direct response space, kind of a real renaissance type guy, yeah. but 
Renaissance man meets hippie meets <laughs> stoner meets uh, uh, Florida Keys laid back boat guy. And sounds pretty good. Yeah. So Gary was was famously known for someone who made it seem like he was never ever working. But what he was doing was all those things you just mentioned, understanding tonality, mm-hmm. understanding the audience, doing the research about the audience. What are the things that move them? What are the motivations that are going to make them buy? What are the things that are going to repel them? Mm-hmm. He was constantly spending time immersed in reading about his prospect, understanding the prospect, really trying to get into that vibe, get into that lane of thought that who's ever going to receive this package is going to get it. And what's that biggest, highest level of connection and engagement possible? And that's really what, you know, on the marketing side of things, that's what good copywriters do. They focus so much on that. They get all that right. And they focus on the headline that, how did you say it at the beginning? The, um, oh, front front loaded, front loading. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really another way to say headline, right? What get your attention. Journalists do Um, it well too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think we've kind of jumped the shark a little bit on that with the clickbait stuff, but yes, you're right. True. Joe, um, so many headlines is like, well, that's yeah. the whole story and your story is inaccurate. Um, right. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, so much good stuff there that you shared. Um, you know, here's how I've used AI in, uh, in our businesses, uh, in one of the businesses I have that rather, and that's content prompts. Um, you know, we, we think, we think we might exhaust all we know and all that people might be interested in, but then you just ask. Chat GPT, sure. give me, give me twenty things that customers buying a mattress might be interested in about cooling technology. Yeah, and we think it's just one thing. I want to be cool right. all night, but there's all yeah. these other things, and now we create video content off of that. But it's us doing it, right? Well, but so it's a human too. connection. Well, because it's like almost like Chat GPT is doing your market research and. I like it for that reason too, because it's reflective of our society. It's reflective of what right. everyone is doing online and what content is already out there and what people think is important. So I'll do the yeah. same thing, you know, oh, I'm, I want to make another video about concision, but I've already talked about it from the angles that I'm used to hearing in class. Okay. What about people who don't take my classes? They may have a different angle, whole different industries. And so when you go into chat GPT, you're getting kind of a picture of what people are talking about in a way. So I think that's really. Useful as well. I agree. Yeah. I, I look at, I look at these automation tools kind of like Olympic scoring. Yeah. I think you need to throw out the high score and you throw out uh, Olympic scoring, you throw out the high and the low score, right? Yeah. So you, you can't just take the first answer you get because that might be the lowest score. And you have to you be just, a little judgy of the answers. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so. Let's talk about a little bit more about what you do specifically through the lens of can you, you know, you don't need to name names if you don't want to. And I'm not asking you to, but you know, give us some examples of, of where, um, you know, somebody's come to you and said, Hey, I'm really struggling with this. I, I can't seem to connect with my team, my customers, uh, my fellow managers. Help me, Aaron. You know, can you give us a couple of success stories there? 
Definitely. Um, and so, you know, a lot of, most of my work is with a group. So I'll kind of talk about it in that way, but there, one on one happens here and there. And obviously through the discussion, um, you know, one kind of general thing that isn't a writing strategy from a book or anything is literally just to start observing what you are receiving in what you read in your department. Anytime we get a new job, a new relationship, a new whatever, we're in a new sort of tiny little culture, right? There are communication norms. Maybe you've had a job where everyone acts casual and friendly all the time. Maybe you've had a job where people are kind of formal, right? And so a lot of it is when we're not sure how to write in a situation, I'll do a little mirroring until I know more. For example, I have a one client in um, Patton's Law which is an extremely formal area of writing. It's not my typical area. Um, and I, I work with typically corp- regular corporate clients in selling things or in finance and manufacturing and health, or I work with public sector national agencies and things like that. Um, so it's a slightly different scenario. But with this particular reader, I've been watching the emails they send me. Oh my gosh, they would never use contraction even. I have to be really on my guard when I write to them. And because I try to mirror the formality to an extent, because I'm sort of assuming if everyone from this law firm has done this, this must be part of their culture to write in a formal way. And I want to, you know, I don't want to throw it off, right? Where I don't want it to be kind of like, I'm creating an obstacle for myself by writing in a way that doesn't jive with the norms there. And then I'm standing out, right? I'd rather just have my message accepted and heard. So we can learn a little. The great thing about writing, business writing specifically, is that you don't need a teacher. I shouldn't say that because I am one. What you need is to observe yourself while you read. Yeah, You can learn anything about any industry and what to do by observing number one, what is what seems to be normal here? Oh, okay. Everybody puts a little summary main point at the top of their email. Cool. I'm going to do that too. But more importantly, what's effective? When I receive emails from my strateg- my um, colleagues, when do I catch myself thinking, oh, great. I look forward to doing this versus I catch myself sort of hating life and staring at the email for 20 minutes, but never truly reading the whole thing. Observe other writers. Imitate the things that work for you. Avoid the things that don't. So we can be learning every single day by observing our own reactions to the texts, DMs, and emails we receive. And then applying that to different writing situations. Yeah. So I picked up on this. So you observed working with a a client of yours. They, They do not or rarely use contractions. Yeah, they're well, they're so just that, um, formal. Yeah. So that granular of a thing you've picked up on. And in turn, your engagement with them, you're writing back to them, you mirror that. Right. I'm mirroring that level. That is wild. I mean, so we're talking about the difference between cannot to can't. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's or an extreme. It is or it's. Exactly. And it's sort of just an example of formality, but I'm biased, right? I, I live in Northern California. I'm not a very formal person. Um, I don't come at things wanting to be serious. I come at things wanting to be informal and connected. 
And so I know that about myself. The important thing for all of us is know your communication defaults. Are you more Mm -hmm. detailed than other people? You might have to hold back now and then. Are you more serious and formal? You might have to chill out now and then. Are you maybe overly informal like me? I might have to write some extremely professional sentences with certain clients to show, yes, I do understand how to write in this way. Um, I am more... I choose to write in the way that I think feels useful for a given situation. And usually overly formal writing isn't as connecting. And so potentially can be less useful. Um, But occasionally, yes, that is really my one client that's the most formal of all my clients. And then a lot of clients I have, for example, utilities of cities. And I'm working with the learning team. We're all teachers. We're all, you know, trying to support our community. We're all good. We can be informal. We can be friendly and casual. It's nothing to worry about. But it's our job as writers to sort of gauge how, what can I do in this situation? How far can I go towards my authentic writing communication style? Or are there some things I might do that wouldn't feel respectful on their end? And then I'm going to slightly adapt the things that I don't mind adapting in order to be respectful or to not stand out as not fitting what they needed because then I'm getting attention in the wrong way and I'd rather just have my message heard. Very psychological, this whole thing. (laughs) It really is. I mean, it really truly is. It's, um, I'm going to go back and and spend time. I'm actually going to get your book because we're um, in the retail business. I have our team that largely is run by my team now. Uh, My business partner and I there you know, we're there a couple of days a week each. We're each there together one day a week. And uh, that business runs. Uh, it runs for us. We don't have to be there. Uh, to me, it's it's one of those nice things. It's, it's the example of a big ticket life, right? Where your business provides for you and you don't have to provide for it. Right. But we're, we've been on this uh, initiative of uh, engaging our customers with text. Because we found people enjoy that, um, especially for setting up delivery of what they've purchased from us. It's a lot simpler than a phone mm-hmm. call because mm-hmm. so few people actually answer their phone anymore. Yeah. And um, uh, so in that vein, I want to look and see what we've been doing. We've been using it for some outreach as well. Uh, we've been using text for, you know, we have a text, textless function from our website. So I'm going to really look into how we've been responding because I don't know. I've not thought holistically about it. I've not given direction to my team to say, hey, really pay attention to this message versus this message versus this message. Right. You know, is this person using contractions or not? Are they are they gonna judge us if we if we come back with a it's versus it is? I've I, not um, thought of that. I know um, there are still some people who judge based on writing, but for the most yeah. part, it's kind of like if our goal is that they don't even really notice that it's writing and reading. They have the information because they saw it and they don't even realize, right? Because we made it so easy for them to read. I was just thinking as you were ta- talking about talking with your team about mirroring, um, I had another thought come up that when I'm checking a last minute um, message or post that I'm a little concerned about, especially if it's kind of a concerning topic to someone in my live classes, we do this thing where I'll write a message that sounds fairly neutral. Like, we hope you enjoyed last night's information session. If you still need more information, let us know or whatever. And then we'll go in and we'll say it in a snarky voice, 
just in case. And then it sounds like, you know, we hope you enjoyed the session. If you still need more information and then you catch, <laughs> oh, whoops, what if my reader is in a bad mood today? What if they right. just got out of a meeting where everyone's upset and they read things in a snarky voice in their head? So sometimes I'll even do little things like that. It, only if it's really worth, you know, all that analysis. But if it's either a topic that you're worried about because it's sensitive to someone or the email is going to go out to many, many people or something like that, I'll do sort of a snark read just in case because we don't know um, how our readers interpret things and we don't intend to be insulting, but you know how people are, right? We can get so offended. Mm -hmm. Like I've been offended myself by a text and it's like they didn't mean to, you know, for the most part. Right. I'm just reading it with a funny tone in my voice and now it sounds accusatory, but they didn't mean it probably. Yeah. 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 It's, um, this, this part of our conversation reminds me of a time, you know, as, as a, as a retail business, uh, you know, reviews are important and five star reviews are what we strive for for everybody. And there was, you know, we have a very good rating, but when we got our first four star review, but yet the comments were largely glowing. Right. would be the word I would have described it. It just kind of consternated me. So I reached out to the person and they were, I don't want to say offended that I reached out and I wasn't asking them to change their review. I was more quizzical, Yeah, but it, it, it just kind of created that little bit of tension. And long story short, they were like, well, I don't know what a five-star mattress experience, buying experience is or isn't. Mm -hmm. But I know mine was good. And so I give you four stars. Right. And, and so I took that as, okay, we got to quantify what those steps are. So we need to take that position in the marketplace because mm -hmm. no one else was putting it out there. So why not we put it out there? That's interesting. And, and so that's what we did. And that created our seven step wake up happy promise. And so now <laughs> that's the measuring step. Wow. Yeah, so you were able to then kind of implement what you learned from that. And, and it's funny because I know from teaching, just some people will not do five. Some people just will never give the highest score yeah. possible, right? Yeah. It's just not how they think about things. They think about a spectrum and they're kind of like, no yeah. one, nothing is zero and nothing is perfection, just from philosophically, right? And they're filling right. us in somewhere in between. Yeah, but I love how you were able to then apply that because as you were saying it, I don't know what a five-star mattress experience sounds like. I was kind of like, what? As an insomniac, would I never, ever, ever wake up? Then that's five stars, right? I was already starting right. to think, yeah, what does it look like? <laughs> and then the wake up happy yeah. kind of puts words to the, the idea of yeah. what is that fifth star or what is the best experience? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, to, to just add on to this, we had a one-star review come in. I believe it was last year. And again, the words were like great experience, value, uh, delivered on time, never heard from them again. Huh. And so, yeah, you, on the surface, you're like, well, what do you want this company to do? Come tuck you in? Right. Until, until you understand that step seven of our wake up happy promises, we're not going to one night stand you. We're going to call oh. you. After, yeah, we, I've got all the good puns, That's right? Fine, yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, uh, we're not going to one night stand you. We're going to call you and make sure you are happy. Mm -hmm. Well, as it turned out, there was a little software glitch between point of sale to CRM and that record dropped off for some reason. So that mm -hmm. phone call never happened. 
Hmm. And so I said to my team, I said, okay, hey, you know, mistakes happen. This, you know, nobody intentionally unchecked the box to make right. that report out of phone calls happen. It just happened. Um, but it shows how important it is. Maybe that person was so disappointed with other purchases prior and they saw step seven and they're like, this is the company I want to do business with because that's what I value. Mm-hmm. Those are things I respond to. And then we left them wanting more. And so such as it is, but it's, uh, there's always that opportunity to learn and observe, which right. I love that you, you touched on that. So I'm sure you get into these points and more in your book. Uh, what else can people expect from high value writing, uh, which is your book? Right. Yeah. The book and the workbook will be coming out this spring with practice problems um, to write out. And especially good if you lead a, a small team and want to have people do pages and talk about how we want to write. Um, oh, and wonderful. Act, yeah, it's going to be fun, I think. Um, and high value writing the book itself. I tell you, my first goal with this thing was to make it brief. That's why it's so skinny. Because I can't walk the talk, right? If I'm not writing a brief book of being concise. Um, and so what you'll find in the book are... First of all, just the understanding of, okay, how does this whole thing work? What does it mean to be clear? How do I think about my reader? What are tricks for being concise? How do I write with meaning, not just words? For, you know, instead of it has come to my attention that a live stream is currently being conducted in which there is a discussion about writing. Or we could say, you know, Jeff and Aaron are currently live talking about writing. And so there is a possibility to write with words that don't mean anything. And the book helps people see, oh, okay, that's what's been going on. I learned in school to write a whole bunch. I never kind of figured out how to target my writing to the need, the reader. And it has before and after examples. um, So you can see throughout the whole time, hey, here's what you can do. Just change your sentence order. Here's an example of doing it. You'll be more concise. And then it gets into longer pieces like writing with flow and organization. And then it ends up with, thinking about the relationship, who's my reader, what's the best thing for moving forward with that person, and how does how will that impact how I choose to write? Love it. I love the workbook aspect. You know, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, you, yeah, you just gave me the final nudge I needed. So my book I wrote, which is over my shoulder here. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Space for Leadership launched that in August. I've been thinking about um, retweaking uh, a productivity journal that mm-hmm. I have. I, I've used it for myself forever and I uh, put it out there in one iteration earlier this year. And I've been thinking maybe I, maybe I evolve that as well. Um, but I love the workbook yeah. concept that you have coming out. Uh, I love the fact that you wrote it to your audience about well, how I wrote it. people are going to take chapters and pages and, yeah. and workshop it. So that's really, I mean, again, you practice what you preach, which I wouldn't expect any less. Um, that's really great. Well, I wouldn't really have great. even written the book if not for my students, because they would say in class, hey, I love these ideas. I like this new perspective. It's really helping me get it. How do I practice? And I would say, well, I don't know, because a lot of books about writing are quite long and textbooks, right? That's kind of a whole right. thing to deal with. So I thought, right. all right, I'm going to pack it. It was actually when COVID hit that first year and all my classes got canceled before they went virtual. I'm like, boom, I'm putting this down on paper. People can learn from the book if I'm not there. And yeah. so it's, yeah, it's definitely, it has stories from the classroom and it's for people actively using writing in daily life and daily work life. Like we all yeah. are. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, the goal of writing to me in a word is about impact. Right. It's about that impact and that transference of courage, of knowledge, of opportunity, of improvement. Uh, But really, it's about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I don't think anybody should be hung up on length of things. Uh, I I have a book from Alvado Albuquerque, fantastic copywriter. Yeah. 16 word sales letter. It's like a 60 page book. And he was charging $35 or $45 for it. This is, a, this is a gentleman who moved to the States from, I think it was Brazil, didn't speak a lick of English, and became Agora Financial and now out as an, on his own, one of their top copywriters. Hmm. And, you know, really honed all of his skills through writing. Right. It's a good way and, to get somewhere, for sure. It's a good way to get ahead, to get noticed in your job. If people are kind of like, oh, who should we promote? Oh, I don't know. Maybe the logical, clear person who sounds respectful all the time when they write to me. Yeah. Who right? can rally people and push mm-hmm. forward a project through a simple pen stroke or keystroke. Yeah. It's yeah. worth working on and just targeting your message. People will notice. Yeah. Love it. Love what you're doing, Aaron. I love your skill, your talents that you're bringing forward. Um, if you want to connect with Aaron, we've had... Her, conf- her contact information has been in the uh, the show notes here. We've been putting it on the screen. Uh, highvaluewriting.com would be a place to go. Aaron, is there a better place you prefer people go first or you want them just to go right to your website? You know, I think the YouTube channel is always my favorite place for people to start with because it's wel- okay. it welcomes you at any income and at any location and at any time of day. Um, and then you can ask me a question right in the comments of a video and I can always answer you. And then obviously you can also ask me a question and get in touch if you wanted to set up a class or something like that. So I'd say, yeah, the channel, the website, um, and the book are three good resources. And I try to stay pretty good about posting on LinkedIn at least once or twice a week information you can use to impact your writing. So that's another good option for people on LinkedIn. Very good. So Aaron's YouTube channel is at High Value Writing, highvaluewriting.com. And if you want to get the book on Amazon called High Value Writing, Real Strategies for Real World Writing, it's on Amazon. And you could order that. Uh, we've got it in the comments as we broadcast out, but you could find it. You could also just search it, but uh, order that today on Amazon. It'll be probably at your door tomorrow or Thursday. Yeah, so, that's right. Or a couple of days from whenever you watch this and order it. Um, Aaron, thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule, pouring in your skills, your incredible knowledge and way you communicate uh, to others, to my watchers and my listeners. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thanks, Jeff. It's been great to be here. Thanks for the conversation. Have a great yeah, day, great everybody. To you too. And everyone else, that was episode 101. We're on the other side of episode 100. Looking forward to bringing you many, many more great episodes. Until next week, we'll see you all then. Take care. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own big ticket life, and now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.thebigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what is impossible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. 
Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, it's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners, and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket methods shift you into that investor seat in your business, away from commodity and away from competition into a market of one so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now. Accept this gift. Book your call. Go to gift.thebigticketlife.live. Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.